Welcome to Voices of Experience radio show and podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Voices of Experience podcast wherever you find your favorite podcasts. No promotional fees have been paid to anyone appearing on Voices of Experience. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Voices of Experience on KIXI AM 880, KKNW 1150 AM. You're hearing this live. My name is Paul Casey, and I have Eric Kramer with us once again, and Eric Ryder. Welcome, gentlemen. Hey, thanks so much for having us. Hey, good afternoon. Appreciate it. You bet. Uh, Nice to be here with you once again. And uh, I say this every week, but... This is the best show in the history of radio oh, today, yeah. and I'm being I'm being really objective too. You know what I mean? I yeah. look at look I right. It's My, not e- it's not even people. close. Yeah, no, that's right. And until the next week, then that will be the best. Do you guys remember the name? I'll get Jim? the Guinness people on the line. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a good idea. I'm sure they would really like that. Um, Jim uh, Jim Copacino. Does that name ring a bell to you guys? does not to me but uh i know he's coming up with you've got an interview with him coming up so i i guess i'll get to know him yeah as a matter of fact i'll give him a long introduction in just a few moments since we're getting into his interview i had with him actually four years ago but i'll explain that in just a moment but again he was a former advertising executive in seattle Mm -hmm. and he's the one who made these incredible memorable ads for the Seattle Mariners over 28 years. And he started a whole new trend in sports because they all were very humorous and funny, which the Mariners needed because they weren't playing so well. So they ended up doing this and he won all sorts of awards and he's a fabulous guy. And actually I had dinner with him last night. So he came top to mind. I'm also going to have a conversation with my wife who today is up in Seattle and they found a new facility for the Doni Co Pet Clinic, and that is a clinic that provides free services for low income and uh, people who are homeless for their pets. And it's been go- going uh, on 38 years. It's been around. And uh, let's see, what else? Voices of History Today, one of the most popular TV shows in American history, signed off today. Okay, think about that. Eric Ryder, you're always good at figuring this out. I'm not going to give you the year because you'd probably get it. Uh, Also, the George Washington Memorial Bridge opened up today, but we don't refer to it as that as a bridge today. We have another name for it. I didn't know that it was referred to this, and I've been driving over for like 40 years. (laughs) But anyhow, it's something that's uh, more of a local uh, type of thing that we look at every year in this celebration this time president hoover turned on the telegraph key that made this official timeless classic for today this song was inspired by a gospel hymn and the writer of the song never intended to sing it himself but he tried to get a group called the drifters to sing it they didn't want to so he sang it himself and it turned into a huge hit And uh, I am pretty sure you will all recognize this song as our timeless classic for today. Solopreneurs, 
I try to focus on people who are thinking about going into business for themselves. There's two things I want to discuss briefly today, and that is um, really you have to figure out why you want to run your own business. That is foremost, has to be top of mind. If you don't do that, I'm afraid you're going to struggle because you will struggle at certain times, but if you don't have that really in stone, you're going to have difficulty much more than if, let's say, you don't and you're just going from week to week. And then the uh, other thing, I talk about personality traits that are important, and I want to talk today about judgment. I think judgment is something, is probably the most important component, but it doesn't get enough attention that I think it deserves. Now, before we jump into the show, um, Eric Kramer, we have a great announcement today. Why don't you lead on this one? Yeah, We're so about the Rainiers. Yeah, so it's something we've been working toward for uh, many years now, actually several years with the Rainiers themselves, trying to find the right fit at the right time, and it looks like this season is one. So our sister stations, uh, KKNW and Kixie, you'll be hearing a lot more about the Rainiers. The games themselves will be on Kixie AM eight eighty this year. And we're, we're of course talking about the Tacoma Rainiers AAA team in Tacoma. But they're going to be on radio and Kixie, and that's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm really glad that worked out finally. But we got the, what, approval from Major League Baseball just in the last 48 hours. Is that correct? That's correct. And uh, these games will air in their entirety, both home and away. There's a few that they're going to hold back for some promotional things. But I think it's 144 games. So if you love baseball, Kixie AM 880 is going to be the place you want to have that dial set to all throughout the Tacoma Rainier season. All right, so we're talking baseball, and we're going to continue that with Jim Copacino coming up next. All right, so I had an interview with uh, Jim in March of 2020. We were just three months into COVID. In addition to talking about some of the great Mariners commercials of all times, we also touched on what would the advertising agency business be like and what would it look like coming out of COVID? We had this three months into it. We didn't know if it was going to last one year, two years, five years, or 10 years. But I asked him about some predictions, and I wanted to replay this. and want to ask and have you wait to see at the end, how close was he in deciding what was going to happen to advertising business and, um, at the end of COVID? And uh, now he started his career in New York on Madison Avenue, and he worked uh, for powerhouse agencies, McGraw-Hill and DDB. He and his wife moved to Seattle. He talks about why he and his wife made this move. And so let's just get to the interview. My first question to Jim, what brought you and your wife to Seattle from New York in 1979? You were in New York. You were living the dream, working for an ad agency there. And then you, with your wife, picked up and moved to Seattle in the late 1970s. Why did you do that? Well, we were living in Brooklyn, and uh, we'd had our first child. Our daughter, Allison, was born in 1978. We loved living in New York, but it was, you know, New York was kind of rough in the 70s. And we, you know, sort of faced that decision of whether we should uh, sort of plant our flag in the city and, and raise our family there perhaps move to the suburb or, or move to another city. My wife's brother had moved to Seattle and we came out to visit. And, you know, it was one of those, we left New York during a garbage strike, you know, <laughs> it 
it was 90 degrees and, and uh, 90% humidity. And, and uh, you know, the city was reeking with all this garbage that was piling up. And we got off the plane in SeaTac and the sun was, you know, dancing. Sunlight was dancing on the sound and the, the air was as crisp as an apple and it was uh, gorgeous. So we said, let's give this a try. So I um, worked for a number of agencies in Seattle before starting our own uh, agency, Betty Fujikato and I, Copacino Fujikato, in uh, 1998. So you got together. What was it that drove you to start your own agency? Well, I, I you know, I had been working in Seattle for about 20 years, and it was always, uh, it was always a dream of mine to uh, to have an agency. And, uh, you know, I, I developed a pretty good network over the years, and uh, the economy was pretty robust at that time. So we thought, okay, let's give it a try, you know. And uh, I actually started as a freelancer in 96, you know, as an independent contractor and uh, had, uh, you know, gotten a few accounts and gotten a little revenue stream going. And Betty <clears throat> Fujikato and I had actually worked together at the old Cheyenne Day Agency. And we'd become friendly, and uh, Betty had a lot of the skills that I lacked in terms of business administration, and, uh, and you know, she was also a very good marketer at the same time. So, you know, we had complementary skills, and uh, so I called her and said, you know, I've, I've got a little something going here, and I think we might have something to build on. And she was ready to come back to work. She had just had twin girls. She said, yeah, let's 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 give it a try. So we uh, we opened our shop at a little... I don't know, in about 400 square feet of sublet space in Pioneer Square with computers we bought from home and a rented fax machine. You needed a fax machine back then. And uh, luckily, it, it uh, turned out pretty well. What was the first major client that you landed? Well, it was actually the Mariners, because I had worked on the Seattle Mariners since 1990, starting at Chiat Day, and then I moved to McCann Erickson. And the Mariners came along with me. And then when I left to freelance, I got a call from them. They said, would you be able to to handle our account? And I said, uh, yeah, I believe I could. And, and, and they moved over. So I actually had that account as an independent for a year before we, we started the agency. So they, they, it's, it's been a long and you know, very satisfying relationship. Like you, Paul, I'm a big baseball fan. And, you know, the ability to combine your your personal passion with your professional life was very, very rewarding. Your ads made baseball fun, and I think there's a double edge plus to that. First of all, the Mariners at that time, in the very beginning, of course, 95, they took off, but you know, at that beginning, yeah. that was a really good approach to a, a team that really wasn't performing that well. But the double edge, too, it put fun in baseball, and I don't recall seeing ads with other baseball teams that approached it that way. Were you one of the first to do that? I think we got a pretty early start on it, although you remember Bill Beck, the famous baseball owner of the St. Louis Browns and later the Chicago White Sox. And, and he was a, a promotional genius, you know, before his time and a real empresario and entrepreneur. And, and he once said that if I had to rely on the hardcore baseball fan for my livelihood, I'd be out of business by Memorial Day. There's always been a recognition that as the revenue model started to build in Major League Baseball, that you have to reach beyond the traditional baseball fans with messages and promotions designed to uh, target a wider audience, you know, young singles and families, women, and to bring a broader population into the ballpark. So 
certainly uh, the Mariners have always, you know, far pre- uh, predating uh, my involvement with them. They've always been pretty creative and enlightened marketers. And, uh, you know, they deserve a great deal of the credit for, you know, willing to try new things and to bring some fun and entertainment to the marketing of the team. What is your favorite commercial that you produce for the Mariners? Do you have a couple you could share? You know, Jamie Moyer, who you remember, was this uh, left-handed, soft-tossing picture. We did one commercial where Jamie's warming up in the bullpen, and they have a radar gun there. And, of course, he never threw much harder than 83 or 84 miles an hour in an era where people threw 100 miles an hour. So he throws a pitch, and the radar gun says 101. And he throws another pitch, and the radar gun says 103. And he throws another one, it's 99. And people are amazed, and they say, is that is that 101 miles an hour? No, no, and they say it's kilometers. So Jamie bought this radar gun in France, and he feels pretty good when he uses it. So I vaguely remember that one. Trans- I do remember that one. We yeah. transposed uh, miles and kilometers to make Jamie a, a flamethrower. Uh, you know, working with Ken Griffey Jr. was, was amazing. So uh, we did a, a lot of fun commercials with him. And I think my favorite there was the all-Griffey team where we had this fantasy. I think it was after his MVP season where he plays every position on the field. I really remember that one, yes. And, of course, Ichiro was remarkable. We did a kind of a cute commercial where he's at his home and uh, he gets a request uh, for an autograph from a little girl named Katie in Spokane. So he, he writes on the ball, Dear Katie, thanks for being a big fan, Ichiro. He steps outside his home and throws the ball across the state and it lands on her doorstep in Spokane. Jay Buner was a lot of fun to work with. I think my favorite with him was just after uh, what was then Safeco Field opened. You know, finally the Mariners were freed from the kingdom and they were playing outside in the sunshine. And Jay takes his hat off and shines his bald head and distracts a batter with the sun reflecting off his off his head. <laughs> I do remember that one very well. But, you know, I think we've done almost 200 of these over the years. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of favorites. Larry Bernandez, you remember, remember that? Yes. Felix Bernandez, when he was in disguise, you know, it was kind of... Yes, a guy who wants that's to more recent. That's a fairly recent that. one, wasn't there? Maybe in the yeah, last that was five a few years, years ago. Yeah. Yes. Uh, one of my favorites that I just really enjoyed among many of them, but was the Clapper with Edgar Martinez. Mm-hmm. And then Edgar was something. such a gentleman to work with. Yeah, <laughs> I just love right. the, Just so innocent. Right. Just he, one little line, and it was just like, I think we have uh, a problem. It was a device that, uh, you know, like the Clapper, that could turn on the stadium lights at night so they could take late-night batting practice, and then right. they're in an actual game, and, and the fans are clapping, and the lights are going on and off and on and off. And <laughs> I'm still laughing at that goes. one. And, you know, Edgar is, you know, exactly what he appears to be. You know, he's a, he's a humble, modest gentleman in every sense of the word. You know, I don't think he really enjoyed doing the commercials. You know, he, he's, you know, he doesn't like the limelight shined on him. And for a while there, he thought people were, you know, just that his accent and so forth was, was is what endeared him to people, which wasn't true. I mean, they just, they just loved him because he, because of who he was, but he was always so cooperative and he put up with all our silliness and nonsense and just a wonderful man. Lucky to, to uh, have been associated with, with him. I think so. I think he and Dan Wilson have the record for most most commercials. So. Okay. But most of the players were really easy to work with. Yeah. You know, get in there and good sports about it. Yeah. In the early going, we worked with Buner and, and with Griffey. And, you know, Buner was, was a real uh, leader in the clubhouse. And Edgar, of course, too. 
And uh, after the first uh, couple of times we did it, you know, it got to be a little bit of a clubhouse tradition. You know, in fact, when players would come over to the Mariners, they would say, am I going to be in a commercial? You know, they, they had gotten a little bit of uh, notoriety around the league. And again, owing to the Mariners marketing team, uh, they, they just created a really good environment where we respected the players' time. We didn't keep them, you know, there for hours and hours. We would be pretty efficient getting in and out. And, and they seemed to enjoy it. You know, we did it in the early days of spring training when, the, when there wasn't a lot of pressure or demands on their time. And uh, it, it just turned out to be really a, a wonderful experience. And we think um, that it's, it's the longest-running campaign in professional sports, you know, using the same sort of theme and technique throughout. Well, you know, the other thing you mentioned, I, I think, you know, it's really interesting, the fact that it has lasted this long, because that is very unusual in the advertising industry. And there are some campaigns yes. that I've seen over the years that I wonder why it is gone. What, what happened to it? Like, I thought Southwest Airlines was really hit a, hitting a grand slam. Pardon the pun there, but they had something going <laughs> really well when they had the Need to Get right. Away campaign. Those were wonderful. Yes. They lasted mm -hmm. for like two or three years, and they went away. Now, my suspicion is that a new agency came in and said, oh, we got to start over again. A lot of that happens, right? It does, and changes in, in uh, you know, marketing management and so forth. You know this well, Paul. Advertising can be a pretty volatile industry, and, uh, you know, account relationships are often like Hollywood marriages, you know. <laughs> they last for a couple of years, and something changes, and something goes on. But you're right. Uh, either a new marketing director, new market circumstances, a new agency. And I think oftentimes that uh, the people who are involved in the creation of the work get tired of it far before the public does, and that doesn't always serve brands well. That's right. I see that all the time. It's just like it's now beginning to work and now you're pulling the plug on it. It's like I'll use the analogy. We're going to stick to baseball. And that is like <laughs> you know, the pinstripes of the New York Yankees. They never change. The Boston Red right. Sox, the, the Boston Celtics, the teams that are held in great tradition, but their uniform never changes. And a lot of people, mm -hmm. I think, that are insecure and are always moving around their brands are showing that they really aren't secure in what they're doing. You certainly have to be nimble because the marketplace changes constantly. But if you have a baseline of what your brand stands for and the core purpose of that brand, you can't wander away from that uh, cavalierly. So speaking of, uh, let's say, advertising, you had really, if we had a Fortune 500 in Seattle, you had a lot of Fortune 500 companies that you did work for. In, in that type of category, is there anything that you brought very consistently? I'm talking about people out there who may want to go into marketing, that you had a fundamental approach to everything that you did. You know, as general as it sounds, we, we always try to combine strategy and, and creativity. You know, I mean, that we, we never lost sight of that the core purpose of our job is to advance our clients' interests, and that's usually rooted in strategy, you know an analysis of the marketplace, where does this product or service fit in the marketplace, and how can we tell a story about a brand that serves the audience's emotional needs and functional needs? You know, that's all strategic. And then you just find try to find some exuberance and some energy and some surprise in the creative execution of the strategy. But there's always, a, you know, the bedrock strategy, which is, hey, for every dollar a client spends – in advertising and marketing, we, we want to return on that investment and show some effectiveness. 
And I would imagine that goes pretty much to every client, that obviously that's what you're trying to do. Anything else, let's say that you have a process that you go through in terms of that's very consistent, no matter what the client is? Yeah, and I don't think it's terribly different from from most other agencies. It's, uh, you know, it's discovery. It's learning about the product, the brand, the audience, and then putting together a uh, creative brief, you know, uh, which is sort of a blueprint in terms of uh, what is the one key message that uh, is going to be most motivating to that audience and connect the brand to the audience and, and then executing it in the most effective way possible in a, in a way that's going to break through the clutter and in a way that's going to uh, get people's attention, but get, get attention in a way that is going to be in service to the brand. Uh, you know, it's easy to, it's easy to attract attention in an ad, but, uh, you know, we've all had that experience where you see a commercial, you see an ad, you see a, something that's interesting or funny or compelling, but it's hard to remember what that brand was. So that connection and that uh, tying the message to the brand is is uh, is challenging. I was reading in some information about some past comments you've made. And uh, one thing about the digital has changed everything in terms of the industry. I want you to talk about that just a bit. And also, I wonder, I have some observation about the click-through mentality that I see a lot of agencies and people try to boast about, well, we had 800,000 click-throughs. And to me, that means absolutely nothing. I don't say nothing, but it's not where you really, the rubber meets the road. But first of all, you mentioned that the digital industry has changed everything pretty much or a lot. Could you elaborate on that? It's been totally disruptive and uh, a revolution in marketing and advertising as we've known it. Just you know, the same way it's disrupted the newspaper business or the music industry or television and radio. First of all, it's given a lot more control to the consumer and the audiences over the content they want to receive and how they access, access it. And when, and, uh, you know, it's an on-demand world and the consumer audience is in charge and they can even block the ads they aren't interested in. On the other hand, digital advertising has given marketers more data and more insight into its audiences. We can track users and their media habits much more closely and precisely, and we can deliver customized messages in more relevant environments. You know, for example, if we're targeting young women who are interested in fashion, for example, we can serve ads to them in real time when they are uh, involved in fashion-oriented websites or social media platforms that emphasize fashions. You know, with smartphones, we can serve ads to them in real time when they're shopping in a, in a Sephora or a, or a Nordstrom, for example. So there's no question digital data and analytics allow us to, to segment audiences and reach them with far more accuracy than traditional media. But, of course, it raises some issues about privacy, you know, and being stalked by marketers. And for marketers, it allows us to be faster and smarter, more accurate with audiences. But it's it's harder to tell a compelling and persuasive story in a tweet or in a tiny ad on a mobile phone to get a click on a banner ad. Uh, you know, and I like to say just because you can count an impression doesn't mean you've made an impression. And that's, I think, the challenge for storytellers in digital is that, uh, the, you know, the, the many forms that you have are so brief and fleeting that it's hard to really engage the audience in a compelling story. Yeah, I like the part of the impression that it doesn't really make an impression. One more final question. 
if you were going into marketing now, you're someone who wanted to jump in and you had a dream of owning your own agency, with what's been going on with COVID-19, and I don't know how long that's going to be with us, is there anything that you would advise someone because of COVID-19 and the hangover of that or how you would approach going into the ad agency business now? I think a lot is going to change in terms of there's going to be more online shopping, certainly. Uh, there is going to be uh, people are probably going to stay home more, maybe travel less in the near term. So it's going to be more, you know, more home based and more domestically based. Oh, and, and also, you know, from a business standpoint, I think we're going to see a lot of people in all businesses, certainly in advertising, recognizing that working remotely is uh, efficient and uh, possible. Uh, that's going to have some consequences, I think, on commercial real estate in terms of, gee, do we really need all this space? Does everybody need to come into the office and be there at the same time? I think there's going to be a lot more flexibility in terms of worker time and in terms of whether you need full-time employees or contract workers and all that kind of stuff. All that said, though, I think the basics of our business will not change, which is really it's about telling the truth about a product in an interesting way that appeals to the audience's functional needs and their emotional needs. And although the the media are going to change and the circumstances under which we create the work is going to change, there's it's it's still going to be a business where you want to connect brands to people in a way that uh, respects the audience and it advances the business interest of the advertiser. That's the fun and the challenge of this business. And uh, you see a lot of great changes in how it's done, but the end result, uh, I think, will remain uh, constant. Like baseball, the fundamentals will remain the same. There you go. You know, we're, yeah, that's, that's a great analogy because, you know, baseball has moved from being kind of an intuitive business to a highly analytic business in terms of player evaluation and strategy and so forth. But at the end of the day, you have to score more runs than the other team. So there you go. Great insights from uh, Jim Copacino. And again, I just want to let you know, I think I mentioned this, but I had dinner with him last night here in Palm Springs uh, with he and his wife, Jackie, and we were hosted by uh, Richard and Debbie Bendix at their house. And I'm telling you, he hasn't lost a beat. He's just one of these brilliant guys in marketing. And I'll just add this at the end question I asked him, and again, just to give a backdrop, this interview was in March of 2020. Just we were 90 days into COVID. And boy, you know, we talk about online shopping, home-based businesses, less travel, working remotely. We'll discover that that's more efficient and things like that. I mean, he could have said that today. I mean, I just can't really wrap my head around it or about how accurate he was in projecting where we'd be. But he said, you know, it always comes down to getting that product out there too, but we're going to shift a lot. And you look at various cities now are still struggling, bring retail and uh, corporate businesses into the city. So I think he called that... Uh, obviously very, very closely. All right. My thanks to uh, Jim Copacino for that interview, and we'll be back with Voices of History in just a moment. When a flock of geese knocked out two engines on U.S. Airways Flight 1549 right after takeoff from LaGuardia Airport, who would you want in the cockpit? 
Captain Sully, or a pilot on their maiden flight. If Captain Sully was your choice, then experience is important to you. And that's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. A variety of topics are explored, including local and national public affairs, self-employment, travel, lifestyles, health and fitness, history, and adventure. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Now Voices of Experience is simulcast on AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. Welcome to today's Voices of History. Swung on the line, down the field line for a base hit. Here comes Joy. Here is Junior to third base. They're going to wave him in. The throw to the plate will be late. The Mariners are going to play for the American League Championship. I don't believe it. Let the celebration begin in Seattle. It is over. The Seattle Supersonics have won the NBA World Championship Series in five games. The transition and the move of this, of this operation and this team begins tomorrow morning from Seattle to Oklahoma City. Well, I like that uh, Voices of History introduction today. We're doing a lot of sports, and of course, uh, spring training is uh, underway right now, but do call out the last two segments in there when uh, the Sonics won the championship in 1979, and then, of course, uh, Clay Bennett moving the Sonics from Seattle to Oklahoma City. We get a team back someday, but uh, I think that's uh, well put together. And um, so let's get into some of the voices of history that we, uh, or I've pulled out for today, February 28th. And um, let's see, on February 28th, the George Washington Memorial Bridge was dedicated and 15,000 people attended to witness the opening, opening of this Seattle, its first highway that went over water. At two o'clock that day, President Hoover turned on a telegraph key and the flags were unfurled and the bridge sirens blared all over the place, 21 guns salute, the whole thing. And within a month, there were 11,000 cars that were traveling across this bridge each day. All right, George Washington Bridge, what do we call it today, guys? I'm thinking, is it the floating bridge? Meh. No. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's the Aurora Bridge. The Aurora oh, Bridge. Okay. okay. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea. I, that stunned me too. I'm telling you. Huh. I was just like, you got to be kidding me. Okay. Let's see what else do we have here today? Mm-mm. Oh, on February 28th, 1897, President Grover Cleveland proclaimed more than two thirds of the Olympic Peninsula to be the Olympic National Forest Reserve. Forty years later, President Franklin Roosevelt toured the area, which led to the creation of the Olympic National Park. I, so there you go. I'm wondering how many national parks are in this great country of ours? Seems well, to say it's got to be at least 15, maybe 20. I would say at least that. Yeah. That, that's for Eric to look up, Eric Ryder. He, he'll find that. You know, I was just talking to a coworker who recently moved here, and I said, that's one thing you need to do is go out there and go to the Olympic National Park 
see the park, go to the um, rainforest. It's just so unique, so beautiful there, and so unlike so much of our country that uh, it's worth the drive. And it's right there in our backyard. Right. Yes, and absolutely a gorgeous place and, uh, you know, Hurricane Ridge and all that. uh, Mm -hmm. But I had no idea Grover Cleveland was the one who initially did that. I always thought it was Roosevelt historically that came in and yep. made it into a national park again after we visited it but good old uh, grover yes grover <laughs> remember him well that's about all i don't know anything about him I, i'm that's gonna actually read up on him too that's interesting i don't know much about him either yeah so apparently so, we have uh 63 oh, national yeah. parks wow. by the way see there you go 63 63 national parks Way in up. this country. Isn't that something? So anyhow, all right, that's it we have today. Actually, that was not one of my better voices of history, I would have to say. So maybe that downgrades this show for being the best in the history of radio. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's history now, so it's history yeah. now. <laughs> we can right. just move on. You got I'm 20 minutes. Best. You got 20 minutes to revive the patient. Okay, we'll have to turn that up. <laughs> so we'll get into um Let's see, talking about going into self-employment, we'll yes. just transition to that in just a moment, and we'll talk about, again, um, you know, making that decision going to self-employment. It's a big one, so I want to talk about it and have some time to discuss that in just a moment. All right, nice transition into this segment. Again, uh, talking about going into business for yourself. And again, I just want to qualify. I'm talking about before you get into business that the process you go through thinking about, do I want to do this? And that's what the book I wrote is all about, is self-employment for you? And I wrote the book after I'd been in business for about 15, 20 years. And I tried to paraphrase it or try to get across to people, what I'm trying to accomplish here is not to convince you to go in at all. You really want to do this or you shouldn't do this or whatever. What I'm hopeful is that when you're through with the book, that at the end of it, you'll say, I can do this, or you'll say at the end, no, this isn't for me. So that's the kind of approach I took it. And I think by and large, when I have got some feedback, um, you know, people have said that there's, I guess, wouldn't be effective as people at the end would say, I don't know. I mean, I still am foggy about this, whether I should do it or not. So anyhow, the book's a little dated. I think uh, it came out in 2017. It's still current in most things. I flipped through it and see, but yeah, there are certain things like, you know, AI certainly didn't exist and these types of things coming on. So I have to rethink some things um, about my next uh, phase of, of trying to go through the process of deciding whether something like going into business for yourself would be a good thing. So I call it solopreneur because what I did kind of is that way. I define it as I'm the guy who did the business by myself. I never expanded out. That's I'm comfortable with that. I did have what I call free agents, people who worked for me, very, a lot of different people took a lot of people to help, but nonetheless, that term solopreneur, I just became familiar with it maybe five, six years ago, but that's kind of what I did and and have been doing ever since. But I do want to say this today. I really do think you have to have a very solid reason as to why you want to go into business for yourself. Without that, you're going to struggle. 
And Mai was uh, trying to develop a very successful communications business. And then as part of my business, I said I wanted to employ a creative and extremely competent communications team made up of free agents. I did various things. I started publishing, then I went into radio, did some television, and increasingly with social media, you had to also be very flexible in terms of how you approach certain things. Newspapers, I'd like to say I had this vision that they were going to go out of business. I mean, they were going to go by the wayside eventually, but that's not why I got out of newspapers. I did it because it was just too much work. Yeah. And that's another thing, to try to find ways to make things easier. And I transitioned into radio because, frankly, it was a lot easier. I didn't worry about postage, working with the post office. They were horrible to work with. I had, let's say, 15,000 papers come out. And because my postage wasn't exactly put on the paper, it was a tenth of an inch off, they rejected 15,000 newspapers. There's nothing I could do. That kind of ended it for me being in the publishing business. Yeah. But uh, anyhow, that's another thing. You want to make it easier. But all I'm submitting is that you really want to have some solid reasons as to why you want to do this. You guys have anything to add or whatever, any comments to what you hear my ramblings about? No, no. no other than I do want to say uh, to people that you really walk your talk. And I want people to go to your website to learn more about your background in the books that you've written. I want them to go to VoicesOfExperience.com. That's VoicesOfExperience.com to learn about is self-employment for you in the pre-flight checklist. Another thing, Paul, that's really been sort of a, a phenomenon of this last year is just the growth of your podcast. You know, a lot of times people can't hear it at this time, Wednesdays from 3 to 4. And so they go where they get their favorite podcasts and they download uh, the latest Voices of Experience. So we encourage people doing that. And a big, big thank you to everybody that spread the word, not only about the podcast, but also about this radio show. Um, I- I've always thought it would be nice if we had sort of this collective word that described the listenership, our fans, the audience. I'm not sure, Paul, maybe we'll come, with, uh, come up with something like that down the road. But I do feel a bit of kinship with the folks that listen and matter of fact, just this last week, I was talking to a woman who said she absolutely loves this program and never misses it Wednesdays 3 to 4. So, Karen, if you're listening, thank you so much. Paul? Thank you, Karen. Thanks for that plug. That's pretty cool. I mm-hmm. didn't uh, know that. Where did you meet Karen? She actually called on a different issue, and we're talking along, and she recognized my voice. And I said, yeah, I do I do some stuff here on the radio here and there. and. And I had mentioned voices. She, and as, as soon as I said voices, she goes, that's it. Voices of experience. I listened to you. I love Paul. He's great. <laughs> so, all right. Oh, wow. I'll let him know. So there okay. you go. I, I know there's somebody out there. Oh, there absolutely is. And that's the fun thing about the podcast is seeing all the places around the globe where people tune in. And matter of fact, next week, I'm going to look that up and give some of the countries because it's amazing to think that people in you know faraway places are actually listening to this program via the podcast. You said there's several in the city in Africa. Yeah, and uh, even down in South America, French Guiana. Um, I I remember seeing that a lot in, like, Sweden, Norway. Um, And uh, there are some points in Africa and even in Australia. So, uh, you know, it goes far and wide. The family, the, the Voices of Experience family. Very cool. Well, good for that. So let's transition in uh, to an interview I had with my wife earlier today. 
and it had to do with um, the Doni Co Pet Clinic that um, it's been around, as I mentioned at the beginning, for 38 years. It was started by uh, Stan Co and uh, Bud Doni, and it's amazing how they just kind of started up. I think I'll just uh, kick it off to Marty because they had today a grand opening of a new facility where they're going to have a permanent headquarters. COVID really hurt them and hurt the, uh, they had to move around a lot and very difficult time. So this was a big day. So here, I just talked to her at, at the press conference. It was at 1030 this morning. So this is uh, my conversation with my wife who's coming back here to Palm Springs tomorrow. I wanted to talk to you, Marty, about what occurred today. But first of all, before we get into that, can you just give a little history again of the Doni Co. Pet Clinic? The Doni Co. Pet Clinic was started in 1986, and we've been in existence for 38 years now. It was started when a Dr. Bud Doni and his wife, Nancy, were walking in Pike Place Market, and they saw a homeless individual with their pet. And they wondered, how is that pet getting the veterinary care that it needs? That was the inception of the Doni Co. Pet Clinic, where they started caring for animals of people that were unable to afford veterinarian care. Dr. Stanko admirably has carried this forward all these years. You've had a lot of challenges. Well, of course, the clinic has had huge challenges before, but in the last four years with COVID, you've moved locations, they haven't worked out. But today is a really big day with the county entering into your situation, led by yourself, of course, and putting this together. And now the uh, King County Executive, Dow Constantine, has come in. And King County has found you about a permanent home, as you can say. Could you describe what occurred today? Big day for you guys. Yes, today is a huge day because one thing that is so unique about our organization in the area is that we provide comprehensive vet care. And when I say comprehensive, not only do we do wellness care, vaccines, topical treatments, but we also do medication management. We do surgical procedures. We offer diagnostic testing. Everything that is available through a veterinary animal hospital, we are able to offer. Previously, prior to the pandemic, we offered our services at Union Gospel Mission, and then we referred to local veterinarians for the more comprehensive care. The pandemic changed everything. It was at the same time that the veterinary shortage became acute. And the veterinarians could not see our pets because they were unable even to see all of their clients that were on their standard clients and had been their clients for a while. So at that point, we realized that we had to evolve. And one of the benefits of being small, and I like to say small and mighty, is that we are very flexible and we were able to adapt. We were really fortunate that we were able to benefit from a very generous donor, Dr. Mona Radishwar, who donated all of her veterinary equipment, and we were able to take over her lease. That is when we added the two clinics per week, and we're able to start seeing so many more animals and do all of our own procedures so we could start to get animals through um, and get them the treatment they needed much quicker, which is so important. And we thank Urban Animal for the use of their space during this time. 
and this is just so exciting because it's our own space. It's everything that we need with all the space. The equipment is in there and is already being put to good use. And so, yes, this partnership with King County is really, really important. You've been doing this now five years as president. What have you learned, let's say, from when you started this and coming up to this point? As humans, we can develop an incredibly strong bond with an animal. Many of the people that we see will take better care of their pets than they do themselves. And that's why it was so important when we were able to do a One Health Clinic, which features human health care also, because many, many of our clients will not go to the doctor themselves, but they will bring their animal in. And that bond is so strong and it helps so much deal with some of the hardships of life and a lot of the adversity is to have the companionship of a loving animal. Now, where is this pet clinic located at now? This is at 1101 Airport Way South, which is Soto. It's really accessible location for our clients. Well, what a great day for you in the Donico Pet Clinic. I know you've been dogging this thing, excuse the pun, for a long time and it looks like your efforts have really paid off for you and the pets and the pet owners and that's a a fabulous thing that you've accomplished here congratulations thank you and we're just so excited when's the pet clinic open and what are the hours the clinic is open on wednesday and thursday from 9 30 to 2 30 we do recommend that people needing the services get here early because we always are operating at capacity anybody that is making less then the federal poverty limit, double the federal poverty limit, is eligible for services. We do require that you're willing to spay or neuter your pet. There's a terrible overpopulation problem. Just bring your ID. You can bring an EBT card, any other communications you have, whether it be a letter or anything else to verify income. Okay, and then if people want more information, you have a really nice uh, website. Donico, D-O-N-E-Y, org. Okay, so there you have it. And uh, let's continue on with uh, some of what she had to say. I just wanted to uh, mention that um, the uh, website again is donico.org, D-O-E, excuse me, D-O-N-E-Y, co, C-O-E, dot org, all one word, And if you would like to make a contribution to this organization, I'm sure they would accept it. And they do need funding. And um, I'm saying this on my own. I see Marty dealing with this all the time. They're doing some incredible things. And all these vets, I mean, they volunteer their times on weekends. And they have, you know, because of COVID, everything kind of circles back to that today. But because of that, they were crippled time and they lost a lot of vets. So not to go in and, and that's not what the program's about today, but they stretch themselves and they show up every week and they do this really because they love pets and, and what they do. Again, one more time, that's donico.com, D-O-N-E-Y-C-O-E.org, excuse me, not .com. Get rid of that. It's .org. It's a nonprofit. Yeah, for sure. You know, Paul, it reminds me of when you say, when it comes to solopreneurs, how, you know, find that need and then and then fulfill it. And to have those two see a need 
right there in Pike Place Market so many years ago. And then look at how far they've come and how many people and their their animals they've helped. That's pretty amazing. But it brings to mind, too, that I think stick to regardless of the adversity, that's what Marty's had to do with the locations over the last uh, 16 months. But she stuck with it. She kept looking and found it. And you're going to have that adversity in your own small business. That's a very good point, Eric. Could yeah. not have said that uh, better or, or at all. And I believe they've served over 3,500 dogs, cats, whatever, um, and sometimes rabbits or, or whatever these pets are over the last uh, three, four years. Amazing. So it is, it's quite remarkable. So shifting gears, we're kind of rolling down here. Um, how much time do we have less, Eric, or left? <laughs> we should wrap up here in about uh, two to three minutes. All right. So then we can get into um, our timeless classic today, which I think you're really going to enjoy. So we'll just uh, close this out now. I hope you enjoyed the show as much uh, as we have putting it together and giving it to airing today. I just want to thank again Eric Crema, Eric Ryder for being here, and of course uh, Benny Mathers for helping stitch everything together. Any comments you have about this show or anything you want to hear in the future, that'd be great. You can call the Voices of Experience hotline. That's 425-653-1166. 425-653-1166. We'll continue to talk about public affairs, travel, fitness, education, history, current events, and entrepreneurship. And again, if you want to listen to the radio show again, it airs today and you've been listening on Kixie and KKNW, it is broadcast again this Sunday at 11 o'clock a.m. That'll only be on Kixie, not KKNW. Next week, I want to get Pat Cashman on the air. He hasn't confirmed yet, but I want to have him back on the air. He is such a star, and he... um obviously had that award-winning show that he was one of the main individuals to bring that to fruition um, almost live. And so um, that's going to be Pat Cashman next week. Next week, I want to talk in the solopreneur section, the customer. Is the customer always right? We hear that since you've been knee-high to grasshopper, right? Is that true? Is that a myth or is that a reality? And, um, I'm at a, well, we're going to talk about a new feature starting next week, and we'll get into that. And it's going to be called Your Opinion Matters. And Eric's going to be working on that. So we look forward to having that all put together. Quote of the week I choose a lazy person to do a hard job because a lazy person will find an easy way to do it. That's Bill Gates. This week's Timeless Classic coming up next. You will not hear it on my podcast because of licensing issues. Have a great rest of the week. In 1960, the writer of this week's timeless classic was inspired to update an early 20th century gospel hymn called Stand by my father. Now the writer of this song had no intention of recording the song himself. He had written it for another group called the Drifters, but they passed on the recording of the song. So he decided to make the recording himself. The soundtrack was featured in the 1986 film and a corresponding music video featuring the artist with actors River Phoenix and Will Wheaton. 
from 1962, Stand By Me by Ben E. King. Stand by me, stand by me, whenever you 